at first we moved in West Ukraine. That's where all the Nazis are from, supposedly. And there were very, very few of them, to be honest with you, back then. Um, come across them once in a while, and I'd be like, what is that person's? What the heck is that? What is that? What is that? And it's not a Heil Hitler, you know, love, you know, Hitler kind of thing. It's a Ukrainian version of it, which I had never seen before. I had no idea what they what they were about. But I didn't go to Lviv. I didn't go to anywhere where they, you know, are in big numbers. Well, you're in Donbass. How are things there now? Are you guys officially Russian? Well, uh, this is officially Russia now, all of it. You uh, have this video on your YouTube, hangings and uh, abuse and executions in the streets of Ukraine. Did you film this or how did you get this footage and who is committing these atrocities in Ukraine? Well, it depends on where you are in the video. Most of it is Azov. Uh, Azov, meaning Azov. Ukraine inflicting violence on its own people. Yeah. Yeah, the girl getting her hair set on fire, that was just outside of Mariupol. Did you um, that? Film was that? before. Did I film this? No. Um, that was Azov. They filmed these things themselves. They Azov them up films and brags about it? Yes. They where do they, where do they, they post do this it. stuff? They posted, um, some of it was actually um, a, in the old days, um, YouTube, Facebook, now they do it on Telegram. The story out of Ukraine is really confusing and hard to trust for a lot of Americans. And why does it apply to us at all? Why should we care about it? Why is our president sending tens of billions of dollars to that little nation in Europe next to Russia? Uh, here to join me is George Eliasson, a an American investigative journalist based in Ukraine. You're located in Donbass, the key eastern uh, part of Ukraine. Uh, you've lived there for over 10 years. So can you help shed some light for Americans on what's what's the truth in Ukraine? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And why should Americans well, care? Sure. Um if you consider it like um, the Donald Trump saga with the whole Russia influence uh, thing going back to 2016, Ukraine is actually where that came out of, by the way. Uh, it was a company called SCL. They are running, they developed the info operation for Ukraine, and then it was turned back on the United States by the DNC. But with the Ukraine and Donbass, you consider that you had a sitting president. Now, this one wasn't a good guy. Yanukovych, by no stretch, is a good guy. But he was elected. Well, the nationalists in Ukraine, um, they follow political um, ideologies that was developed in the 30s. And these are actually um, Nazis that Hitler was afraid of in the day. They were that violent. They took over Ukraine. They ousted this president. They force him out of office and force him to leave the country. Now, Donbass was one part of the country that said, no, we have a president. Yanukovych is the president. And they wouldn't accept the coup. So just like Antifa started taking over cities and burning them down and hurting people, 
The nationalists started coming into the cities in Donbass doing the same thing. Then they came with guns. And all the people had here, they, didn't, they don't have um, a Bill of Rights that says they can bear arms here. Well, they didn't. All they had here at the time was shovel handles. So they were literally, the people here were going up against guns with shovel handles at first. Now think about that. Imagine anti-fire on the streets with automatic weapons, and all you have is a shovel handle. Not a great fight, but they did it. Then they took over the armories to even it out, even out the fight. You have automatic weapons, now we have automatic weapons. Um, for the first few years, the thing that hurt Ukraine the most, because they were attacking with tanks, um, weapons, rockets, is that most of the patriots in Ukraine, the people that joined the military, were from Donbass. So the experienced soldiers that were in Ukraine were the people they were attacking. They literally raised the taxes here to buy the bullets to attack the people here. Believe it or not, that's how this whole thing started. And then when they, the military started coming in, they had a conscription. They were trying to draft all the young men here so they could send them to the front lines and fight their parents. That, that's what the Ukrainian politics is like now. That's what they're about. So it sounds, if you look at this, if you push what Joe Biden's doing a few steps further, He's talking about a civil war. He's talking about um, MAGA as being treasonous. He's talking about Republicans and conservatives being um, enemies of the state. That's exactly how they framed it against the people here. And it's not just here, but across Ukraine right now. If you don't support uh, these nationalists, they brand you as a Russian, just like Donald Trump, and they are, um, they're beating them up. They're murdering people. Ukraine, according to Ian Applebaum at the Yalta, um, at Yalta European Conference or Strategy Conference, um, the war isn't about land. It's about defining who Ukrainians are. And you have a country that literally 100 years ago, everybody in it was Russian. Everybody that was born here fought against Adolf Hitler and these nationalists that helped Hitler. To be Ukrainian, they have to say their grandparents are garbage, that those sacrifices were evil. Fighting Hitler was evil. That's essentially the fight. And it's why um, when an area is freed from Ukrainian control, they want to join Russia. And it's not particularly, it's not necessarily that they want to be Russian Russian. They're already Russian, but they want to be safe. They don't want their kids to be killed. Ukraine passed laws if, our, if their military leaves an area and the people don't leave, they're going to be prosecuted when Ukraine comes back. So. Well, just like Donbass, it's a matter of survival on one end, and it's a matter of, um, I guess, deciding who you are. Are you a real person or are you a political person? So that's what the fight's about. Well, I understand that there were previous corrupt presidents of Ukraine, 
but mm-hmm. I have I have heard from my American sources who spent a lot of time in Ukraine that uh, the Ukrainians elected Volodymyr Zelensky as a a man who was not a career politician, background in mm-hmm. acting, a guy who was for the people, and that Ukraine was on the right path with him, that Ukrainians were gaining more liberty and control of their lives and corruption was being rooted out is that not the case and then and then and then uh putin comes on in at that point and why okay um you've actually you brought up some really good questions now Zelensky got 70 percent of the vote in the election okay and and that on that end supports what you're saying they wanted to get away from these nationalist politics. The reason he got that vote, um, you, you froze up. Can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Am I frozen? Okay. Yes. Um, the reason he got that vote was because he ran on two things. He, no matter what, was going to stop the war. That's what that 70% was about. And he was going to build an economy. He did the opposite of both. By stop the war, you mean, you mean civil war within Ukraine? Yes. You see, they had the Minsk agreement, and all Ukraine had to do was fulfill its end of the agreement. Donbass would have folded back into Ukraine, and this would have happened in 2019. But instead, they refused to do it. They wrote laws against keeping it, and he himself has been on record saying he would never do it. Now, He, um, right after he got elected, he went to the U.S. right away and he met with the Ukrainian diaspora leaders. And they're actually the most rabid nationalists on the planet. They're OUNB Bandera. And they, after the meeting, he was all for war. Yes. um, Yeah, you've got um, the diaspora groups in America. The OUN um, leads the Ukrainian Congressional Committee of America. It's actually the most powerful lobby in America today. It's bigger than Saudi Arabia's, believe it or not. Um, yeah, the, they uh, came here after World War II, um, actually still in their military formations. That's how they settled. And they stayed um, separate and unique. They are, according to their political thought, politically perfect. There's no reason to change. They're going to change America instead. They got the opportunity to get the Ukraine they wanted, which was post-2014. Now, the war started because um, if you go back to 2021, Zelensky was trying to push Biden to start the war uh, back in May, June, and Biden didn't want to do it. He pushed to get Nord Stream canceled so that Europe would have to pay heavy for gas, okay? Because he was able to accomplish that, it actually cascaded into um, an energy, worldwide energy crisis. Back in February here, um, Ukraine, instead of keeping the um, Minsk agreement, within days after Putin uh, actually um, started a military operation, if he'd waited, um, I think it was about six days, 
Ukraine was coming across the line with over 200,000 men doing what they called the Croatian uh, scenario. And they've been talking about doing this since 2015. That's going into every town, village, and city, killing everybody that looks like they're standing against them. Now, what does that mean? If you don't welcome them with open arms, you're standing against them. And Ukrainian soldiers were talking openly about, you know, how there wouldn't be many people left in any of these cities. So this That's started in February 2022? Um, this, well, Russia's um, entrance into this, yes. Before that, it was local. So I'm I'm just saying, at the point at which Ukrainian soldiers started to go into every town and execute people, execute dissenters? That started in 2014. That's been going on this long. I've been to three out of 15 uh, mass graves that they've uncovered in my area. I've reported from um, the, un- the uncovering. It's just... It's ungodly when you see children just thrown into the ground. What's left remains of children. Uh, People stacked on top of each other. It's ungodly. I was looking at your article, report uh, from March Moscow Policy Conference, Ukraine Uh denazification. You had photos in there of some executed people and some items that highlighted next to them uh, humanitarian aid packages, people who had been executed. Uh, Tell me about this. Well, um, back in the early spring, um, the massacre of Bucha happened. Russia went into uh, the town of Bucha, which is um, toward the west of Kiev. Um, Then they left. Russia did a faint, looked like they were going to take over Kiev. But they were really bulking up the line in Donbass. They didn't keep troops there. They didn't fight for it. They left. But while they were there, they gave people um, that lived there humanitarian aid packages. You've got to understand that when you're in a war zone, you don't have the logistics change you do in real life, normal life. So you go to a store. Well, it's like before a big storm. Okay, before a big storm, um, you're in Texas, yes? Yeah. Everybody goes to the store, cleans it out, right? Okay. Well, when you're in a war zone, it goes doubly fast because you're not gonna. There's nothing going to be coming in. So all these people are left with nothing. The Russian soldiers were giving them their food packages and aid packages, but it's clearly marked. You can see it's from the Russian army. When they left, Azov Battalion went into Bucha, and. If you look at all the communications from the town of Buja, from Azov itself, the videos, they actually show him shootings, shooting one. Can I shoot him? Yes, go ahead and shoot him. He doesn't have blue one. Armband. They were killing all the people that took um, those food packages or had a white armband on. Armband, white armband is, I'm neutral, leave me alone. You, you know what I mean? It's wow. not necessarily for anybody. It's just, I want to live, you know, just let me be. Well, you have to think about it logically. Why would the Russian army give you a food package? Okay, and some of those pictures, there was one picture that was like 15 people, they all had those food packages. Why would the Russian army give them food packages, shoot them all, and then leave the food packages so people can find it? You know, leave the calling card. 
It makes no, it makes absolutely no sense. So these people I, were killed by their own fellow Ukrainians. Well, see, the problem is they don't consider them fellow Ukrainians. And I'm talking about groups like Azov, um, these nationalist groups that took over Which the army. Azov Battalion, that's known as the Nazi group in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It's one of them, yeah. They consider all but, these people Russian. Does, does Zelensky they, have much to do with them, or are they the Azov Battalion? Zelensky's protecting them. He's going on Fox News saying, yeah, they were like that, but they're not like that now. I just listened to an interview with an American that just came from serving in Azov for, what, the entire spring and summer. And he said, yeah, they're full of Nazis and nationalists. He says that's what they are, so what? That's what they are, so what? He said they're racist, they're this or that, and they hate Russians. But... He goes, goes through this whole thing, says he's done things he's ashamed of. And then after that, you know, and he describes a couple of weeks, it was the first contact he's had with Russians, the Russian army. They, Azov is a police battalion. They go behind the military, they go into the towns, and they pacify them. And the videos are all over the place showing people getting beat up, people getting killed. And all anyone has to do is look because Azov puts these videos up. And, you know, that's the crazy part. Um, so, I, I mean, here, but does that, uh, so are you saying Russia's the good guy for invading and dropping bombs and killing more people? Well, look at it this way from a local, from a local perspective. 300,000 guys are going to come across that line and they're going to kill as many of 3 million people as they can. They're already using rockets, missiles, everything they can. Tank shells, they do this on a daily basis. They were actually firing rockets that dropped, um, they call them flutter mines, okay, butterflies. Um, they're plastic, a little child, a three-year-old can step on them. They look like toys. And they just spread them everywhere. Just And it's in civilian areas. They don't do this in military areas. This is what people here have been dealing with for eight years. Um, rockets, missiles. You heard of the Kremitovsk train station, right? The serial numbers for the, the missile that hit the train station and killed 50 people. Ukraine says Russia did it. But the serial numbers from the missile survive. They're out of a Ukrainian stockpile. And so is Alchevsk, and so is Donetsk, and so are five other cities. Um, what, so are you saying you Russia hasn't, hasn't dropped bombs? No, well, Russia has, but their whole military game has been to go very slow, try to protect as much life as they can as they go. That's the why behind it. Um, Russia came in with half the force that Ukraine, but that they were facing against the Ukrainians. Ukraine was literally double the number. So if you're looking at, you know, a military fight, you know, between um, technically equal forces, you need eight times the number attacking than you do defending, okay? 
Russia had half, and they pushed Ukraine all the way back to God knows where at first. That's how technically inefficient the Ukrainians were. The Ukrainians, instead of fighting with the Russians, attacked people. And they've um, just been doing mass attacks that really picked up after Russia came in. Am I glad Russia came in? Well, if they didn't, the Ukrainians would have killed me and my my entire town. Um, I was under occupation in 2014. I was three hours from being cleansed. So I know what I'm talking about. Literally three hours. Another one of these Nazi battalions, Donbass battalion, moved in to do it. They came off a field base that had 1,200 guys. And the Ukrainian army at that time was very different. They were acted like a regular army. They told the postmaster in my town, get the children out of here. You have two days. They're going to cleanse. Now, you couldn't leave because you're covered with tanks. You go out in your backyard and there's these continuous gardens. The gardens are maybe three quarters of an acre each, right? But it's continuous throughout the whole neighborhood. So you can look a mile one way, a mile the other way. And you see glints of sniper scopes at the ends. So if people try to leave going through the gardens, well, there's snipers there. On the street, you see tanks. There's people walking around with 50 cows. Um, they mined the areas near the border. You couldn't leave at the end of the street. We were hemmed in, and then we were locked down um, a few days before they were going to cleanse. And the only thing that stopped it from happening was the morning that they were supposed to do it, a rocket attack took out that big base, 1,200 guys, a big, big rocket attack. That stopped everything, and within a few days, the Ukrainians moved out. But uh, you're looking at a balance of a couple hours, whether or not I'd be here to talk to you, or whether or not, you know, I would have been a memory in 2014. That's what people in Donbass face um, with the Ukrainian army now. These nationalist leaders took over the regular army. They pushed out the good military leaders, uh, you know, honor, justice, okay, people that have, you know, fallen military code. Ukraine pushed them out a long time ago, which is a shame. Um, so how, how free is the press there in Ukraine? Because we, in <clears throat> Russia, we know... A recent law passed in Russia that made spreading or sharing of information that the Russian government believes or says is fake, uh, that can send you to prison for up to 15 years, we're told. So it's really hard to get the truth out of Russia. And uh, I, I have friends with relatives in Russia. The Russians are terrified to speak out about the truth in Russia. Uh, I'm assuming it's similar in Ukraine. Both nations seem to be of propaganda well it, it's kind of funny ukraine passed laws a while back you there is no freedom of speech no free press you um follow what the government says or you're an enemy of the state um they started this in practice about 2020 15 2016 they made it law last year russia on the other hand um they have laws against Nazification, glorification of Nazism, 
um, spreading um, homosexuality or transgenderism. You're looking at very specific things. In terms of free speech, um, I'm in a war zone. I'm a foreigner here. Okay. I've never had an issue with somebody trying to tell me what to say or not to say. Ever. And, you know, that's so. Does Russia have a stricter, um, I guess, code for speech? Yes. But is there free speech? There's dissenting speech all over the place. Uh, if you look at the Moscow Times, you can't get any more anti Putin than that. They've been in business for, God, what, 20 years? And there are a lot of other publications, TV stations like that. Um, you hear dissenting voices. And some of these people, I just, um, you may have heard of a guy, a figure named Igor Stalkov from the beginning of the war here. Uh, supposed Putin guy that went, you know, was the uh, guy that started the war in Crimea and then here. This guy is, it would be like um, Hunter Biden um's relationship with donald trump that's this guy's relationship with putin free speech yeah he is constantly berating putin constantly and this guy here is you know honestly i can't think of a you know in american terms i can't think of a more treasonous guy on the planet i mean it's just the way it is in terms of all that but is he prosecuted or persecuted no he isn't so but we do hear these stories trying... of, of Russian dissenters mysteriously getting poisoned. Oh, you're talking, okay. Um, no. Um, with that particular poison, Novichok, um, oh gosh, what's his name? It slips my mind at the moment, but I know who you're talking about. If you even, um, Novichok, Novichok touches your skin, the first thing you're going to do is um, you're going to, your bowels are going to release right away. You're going to start, um, it's poison. You're going to start puking. You're not going to have any control over your body. What happened with him, um, he actually put up his underwear as part of the evidence. Okay. Oh, yeah. They they inspected my underwear for Novichok. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, your tidy whities are white. Okay, that didn't happen. They he would have died right away. Anybody near him because it gives off fumes. If you sniff the fumes, you're dead. Here's this guy without treatment for 15, 20 minutes. He's alive. Not just alive. He has no side effects. Okay, yeah, people going to us. Yeah, I'm reading from the news here. Uh, August 2020, Russian opposition figure and anti-corruption activist Alexei Navalny. Navalny. He was poisoned with a nerve agent, uh, which you mentioned. But he survived. So you're saying he staged that? He was never poisoned? Yeah, I'm saying he. I'm saying he staged that. He's saying it happened in a hotel room. It was a water bottle. Now, okay, so he went, had the water bottle, went to the airport. 
Now you're looking at 15 or 20 minutes. Gets on the plane. Now, if it's there and it can affect him, it's affecting other people, which he didn't. It would have affected and killed everyone in the car. No one was affected. Matter of fact, these people went back to the hotel room in sandals, barefoot, in shorts, or in their underwear, collecting these bottles for for poisoning samples, right? Huh. It gives off fumes that would have died. Wow. The people in the ambulance, the people in the ambulance that treated Navalny would have died. They wow. would have had to put him in a bag to survive. That's how actual, the real thing, this is how potent it is. A nerve agent isn't something you get up and go on vacation a few weeks later after. You're done. And Navalny has been pulling this kind of game for over a decade. Here's the thing about him. They call him political activist, this, that, the other thing. He's the extreme far right of Adolf Hitler, as you can get, in, in 2022. And as a political activist, he might get 0.007% of the vote. He can't get elected to be a dog catcher in Russia. The only place he's an activist is for the Biden people. That's about it. And that's the reality of it. If you look at his political record in Russia, it's the only time people ever hear of him is when he's on the news complaining about Vladimir Putin or somebody else. And that's that's all. Nothing more to it. That's crazy. Uh, it's really hard to figure out what's true and what's false now. I, I, like, but you agree. But that you can is... look this up. You can look this up, and that's the point. Everything needs to go back to being evidence based, and right, that's my point. I agree. Um, well, so you agree though that there are penalties for Russians who speak freely outside of Putin's narrative. Um. Um, in general, no. A lot of people do. Um, even look Russian, at the, um, the Russian TV editor uh, who, who a few months ago, her name's uh, Marina Ovsiankova. I hate uh, Russian names. Hard to pronounce. But she, <laughs> she jumped on live TV, said you're being lied to. Very similar to what I did when I called out Fox Live on air last year. Um, mm -hmm. I was not detained by law enforcement for that. She was. Uh, we, we still have a, a shred of free speech in America. I was able to do that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she was detained. Uh, media reports are that she's going to face fines for, for doing that. And what I can say is that my best friend is Russian, and she mm -hmm. is terrified to say a word about what's going on with her family back in Russia for fear of retribution. So uh, who knows if that's because she's well, you've, been you've got these... brainwashed and... enough by propaganda to fear it, or whether... There is indeed a stranglehold on what's really going on there. Well, if we look at the conscripts, um, now, Vladimir Putin needs to send an army here, right? If 
things were exactly like what you're describing, these people that are running to other countries, they should be afraid. Um, they're not, they went on the, the news said, let them go. They're not keeping people in the country. They're not tracking people leaving the country. Um, they can come and go as they please. There's no penalty for it. Really? Yeah, there's, what, hundreds of thousands of Russians reportedly fleeing the nation? Well, I don't know about hundreds of thousands. Uh, you know, at this point, I'd say, you know, you'd say, you'd say thousands. You're looking at a population of about 150. Um, my, uh, my source on the U.S. Southern <clears throat> filmed filmed people with Russian passport, military-aged men with Russian passports crossing our own U.S. southern border. These military-aged men, they, they are fleeing. They don't want to get fight the wall up. War. What's that? Uh, you need to get the wall up. Um. <laughs> I know. We, we got to keep these Russians from pouring in. Uh, we need that wall. Uh, but look, I want to get to the Seriously, point. though. I, I want to get to to the the point of like the America's involvement. Okay, why is our U.S. president sending tens of billions of dollars to this little nation in Europe, Ukraine, um, which we already have an insane inflation problem? So sending that much money only hurts um, Americans' bottom line more. Why is why is he doing this? Why does this matter to Americans? Because right now, this seems to be creating another Cold War. Uh, there's fears of of nuclear weapon deployment now. Why mm -hmm. is why is Biden doing this? Well, you've got a couple of reasons, and it's actually a very very good question. In terms of just America's involvement and what he plans on getting out of it, Ukraine is the biggest graft country on the planet. Um, if you look at you know, the whole Biden Burisma scandal, well, it's real. But that's not the only one. Um, a lot of the money that's coming here, and you know, you're, you're looking at tens of billions of dollars. It's the question to ask is how much of it's going back, and to whom. That's number one. Number two, the info war, as I said before, is out of Ukraine. It's actually uh, being managed inside the U.S. State Department at the USAGM. Um, but the main thrust of the actual force is in Ukraine itself at this time. It's in the Ukrainian, um, what is it, the Cultural Ministry and Ministry of Information Policy. That's where it was designed to be originally. Um, by a company called SCL. Um, you may know their, their daughter company is called Cambridge Analytica. They designed the media war less right now. Um, Ukraine has close to 500,000 500, volunteers online that are deplatforming everybody. Um, it's the Ukraine IT Army. Um, they're doing the hacking uh, making sure companies aren't doing business with Russia anymore or being neutral. Um, if you look at people like Donald Trump, how hard was it to deplatform the President of the United States? When 300,000 people that look like they're coming from every walk of life all over the world are sent an email and said, that says, contact Twitter, tell them to deplatform Trump. 
That's a big influx of, of tweets or emails at once. So it makes it easy to do. And this is what they're doing to influencers, journalists, platforms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wondering how easy it is to be monetized? These people can get it done in two days because there's so many of them. Or thrown off um, your IP for your website or whatever. I've, um, early on, especially, you know, 2014, 2016, 2017, exposing a lot of this stuff. It was, um, and I was warning websites, if you publish me, this is a, there's a strong chance this is going to happen. Not telling the exact steps that would be taken because I've already seen it before. And I documented, um, <laughs> I documented the strategy being developed. I wrote about it before they were doing it. Um, I said, you're going to be deplatformed, demonetized, demonetized, et cetera, if you publish me. And so with my articles, um, it's this it was actually a week of really good, strong websites, conservative patriots. They understood what they were against, and they said, look, we need to get this stuff out. We need to get it out. So point was is you know you're hacked three or four times with a big site it costs seven eight thousand dollars to fix your site right they couldn't afford it anymore so how does this affect america this affects every american if you do business online if you have a social profile online if you have a right to gather somewhere today it's um they turned it into and this is again it's the ukrainians and the information operators uh, behind them. If you're a conservative, conservative and you support Donald Trump, you're Russian. You're as Russian as I guess I am at this point. Because I'm a conservative that supports Donald Trump. So it affects you and it's going to affect you a lot more. When a Democratic president says yeah, but I mean, re that was happening before the Ukraine war, before Biden started sending, you know, uh, tens of millions. Like, I, I understand was, that, that the American. Going back to 2015. Right. Both Hillary, I mean, Hillary Clinton will call anyone a Russian agent if she doesn't like them. And the, you know, the media is happy to call various people Russian propagandists. Um, most recently, um, they called American podcasters who said anything outside the narrative a Russian agent. So, I mean, that's been going on. But why? I mean, why is Biden so invested in this? Um, what is this any it's of our, our business in America? What? How about Americans it's just mind money. their own business in their own border? Well, you really can't know. Um, they're taking the same um, government form and making a change in America now. What's Ukraine that? Ukraine is the petri dish. The same type of controls, the same type of government that's happening right now is what Biden's intent on bringing to America. Biden, Democrats, and Rhinos. Um, Sorry, it's, it's hard to hear you. You're... Sure. Um, Sorry, um, they're bringing the same form of government Ukraine has back to America. 
They're just adjusting it to fit inside um, Constitution, we'll say. You can ignore stuff. You don't necessarily need to go against it until there's no one left to stand against you. You don't even need to make changes. If um, any other president at any other time had called half the country, um, what, enemies of the state, possible traitors, um, dangerous to the, to the country, they would have been thrown out of office. They've come this far with that. This political thought is what it came from America, was instilled in Ukraine. Um, they experimented with it there, and now it's coming back. So it's about control. Ultimately, it's about power. And if Biden can get away with this, he'll be the greatest Democrat that ever lived. I guess that, that essentially is the bottom line. Uh, let's get to the truth about biolabs in Ukraine. Um, what, what's going on? Here's the thing. Let me just say the mainstream media in America has been, you know, calling it a conspiracy theory that there are biolabs in Ukraine, yet a Reuters exclusive, I'm reading the headline, it said, WHO says it advised Ukraine to destroy pathogens in health labs to prevent disease spread. The fact is there were biolabs, also called health labs, with deadly pathogens located in Ukraine. Uh, as to whether those were for research to prevent the next pandemic or whether they were being used as possible weapons, you know, a pathogen unleashed as a weapon, I guess that is up for debate, but WHO confirmed those are very much there. And if you look at the Department of Defense in the U.S., this lab was in partnership with the U.S. Department of Defense. Now, why would our Defense Department mess with health research? So that's that's just my observation, okay? Now... Russian propaganda says that there's 30 biolabs for weapons in Ukraine. What are you gathering? Have you found any truth in this? Well, first of all, the, the U.S. military would be involved. If you look at Fort Detrick, it wasn't just about making weapons. It was also finding cures to a degree. So that part, you know, okay, let's let that slide. Um, the facilities in Ukraine, though, what they found... And the documents are out there um, for this now. They're, they are available online. They were weaponizing um, viruses. They were doing research on specifically Russian Slavic DNA um, to, uh, to target it. Now, how far, they, how far they got, what happened with it, I don't know. Were there 30 labs? Yes, they were. They've found, they've uncovered mountains of paperwork from those labs. They also know that um, in at least one lab, um, the, the research was stolen, taken. Who has it? I don't know. 
okay, which is a big deal. But you know, it's not never going to make the news until, oh, unfortunately, it makes the news. So, you know, for the U.S., the EU, for Ukraine to play with this kind of thing, it's just uh, honestly crazy. Um, the labs are very dangerous. There's actually, um, what would you call it, interviews with people that were in their Ukrainian army that were experimented on. Okay, they were given shots, experimented on. And, you know, quite frankly, it didn't work out too good for them. These things should be public. They should be looked into by health experts. But because of the situation in Ukraine, because of, one, Biden's position, two, the EU's position, it's not even a matter of, okay, geez, I want these soldiers to be healthy. How about we find out what actually happened to them? But nobody's interested. And that's the thing is, the interest isn't there. Put the weapon side stuff away for a second. Guy injected sick, okay? Is he communicable? in his neighborhood, with his family, with his wife. You know, what is it? And the Ukrainians use their own people to experiment on. That's the crazy part. And you're not going to get, you're not going to get answers to that. Um, people that were interviewed, uh, you know, honestly, I have no idea where they are. The information, it's, it's online, it's very difficult to find now. But it's still findable. In eight or ten years, we're going to read all about this. You uh, have this video on your YouTube, Unseen Ukraine. And uh, my friend Trevor sent it, sent it to me of um, hangings and uh, abuse and executions in the streets of Ukraine. Now, is this... Did you film this, or how did you get this footage, and who is committing these atrocities in Ukraine? Um, well, it depends on where you are in the video. Most of it is Azov. Uh, Azov, of meaning Azov. Ukraine inflicting violence on its own people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the girl getting her hair set on fire, that was just outside of Mariupol. Did you um, film that? was that? before. Did I film this? No. Um, that was as of. They filmed these things themselves. They as put of them up films and brags about it? Yes. They where do they, where do they, they post do this it. stuff? They post it. Um, some of it was actually, um, in the old days, um, YouTube, Facebook. Now they do it on Telegram. Wow. On different channels they have. Yeah. Um, that one in Kiev with the, with the Roma girls. Okay, they're getting beat up uh, with a sex toy. That's Kiev. That's an Azov commander. That's what he does in his free time. Wow. And if you go, his name is Maxim Yarosh. And if you look him up, at all, you start finding his Facebook post. Go on Facebook, and he'll have a long list of videos of him beating up women. That particular video came off of Facebook. Wow. 
Wow. Well, you're in Donbass, the first controversial region of, of Ukraine. How are things there now? Are you guys officially Russian? Well, uh, this is officially Russia now, all of it. Um, the front lines, it's, it's a mess because Ukraine is, they doubled up on the attacks on, the, on residential areas. And, uh, you know, it, it's really, really tough for the people there. If you go to the central and rear, away from the front line, you find people living close to a normal life or a normal life, depending on where you go. Um, you can't see or hear the war. And people are working their jobs, you know, doing whatever. Um, it would just be normal life, more or less. I mean, after eight years of this, it's, it's hard to... Um, imagine life any other way at, at this point, I guess. So why have you stayed there if there's the threat of Nazi attacks for eight years? Well, I live here. Um, if that's 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 a, a tough one. Um, my wife is from here. Um, been married for over twenty two years at that point. We hadn't been home in all that time. The only time I'd ever been here before this was 1991. I actually got here when the Soviet Union was falling apart. Wow. Uh, that was amazing. I, had, I left the day um, Gorbachev was kidnapped. Okay? I actually left Russia. Okay? It was the Moscow airport you had to fly out of. This was still the Soviet Union at the time. And, you know, being an American, you know, in, you know, in the Cold War, I grew up in the Cold War, and, you know, you're looking around, you're like, hey, I'm in the Soviet Union, though. Now what's going to happen? You know, you're, you're expecting all this weird stuff. But it was just, you know, you're in another country, people, oh, hey, wow, an American. Hey, that's cool. Hey, you got to eat over my house. What's America like? We want to know about this. Hey, that's what it was like back then. Um, so I got to know people here well, developed relationships, and my wife's family's from here. In 2009, um, I just, she hadn't been home in all that time. And I just decided, well, it's time, to, time for you to go home. So I closed the business. Um, we came back here. And it was um, culture shock that lasted, gosh, I don't know, three years. I mean, it was just really, really weird. You go into some cities in West Ukraine, and there were more American flags than there were in towns in America. Wow. Which I found really weird. Okay. Um, and it was the same thing here in Donbass. So from West Ukraine to East Ukraine, it was still, you know, it was a good feeling, pro-Western, pro-this, pro-that. Like I said, in Donbass, it's not political. Um, Wait, it was everyone's Russian with American flags? <clears throat> well, over here, you, you wouldn't see the, the American flag so much, but they were America-friendly. Okay. You know, and you've got to look at it like that. Oh, you're American? Oh, you people are great. What's it like there? Why are you here? If you're American, why are you here? Why aren't you there? 
That doesn't make sense to me. That's what people hear. It's their attitude. Right. I'd like to go to America. Right? Um, but, but you went there for love, for your wife. Well, you know, you married that long, and um, my wife had had a couple heart attacks. Wow. And it was time for her to see her family, and that was that. So I said, okay, look, you put up with me for that long, and I'm no prize. So, okay, here we go. We'll do this. So we came here, and at first we moved in West Ukraine. That's where all the Nazis are from, supposedly. And there were very, very few of them, to be honest with you, back then. Um, come across them once in a while, and I'd be like, what is that person? What the heck is that? What is that? What is that? And it's not a Heil Hitler, you know, love, you know, Hitler kind of thing. It's a Ukrainian version of it, which I had never seen before. I had no idea what they, what they were about. But I didn't go to Lviv. I didn't go to anywhere where they, you know, are in big numbers. So these are, you know, small towns and cities away from those areas. You know, so it's like the suburbs of Nazism. You know, that's where I was. And we lived there for a few years. And it was actually, this is West Ukraine. So I asked them, okay, now, West Ukraine, you don't get more Ukrainian, right? What language should I learn? Ukrainian or Russian? Everyone across the board, oh, you need to learn Russian. Don't bother you learning Ukrainian. Everybody speaks Russian. Okay? We all speak Russian. You'll get along better because not that as many people speak Ukrainian. And you go into the cities, everybody speaks Russian anyway. So for, you know, what you want to do, learn Russian. You'll be better off. So I said, okay. You know, we'll go that route. Um, people here... You have a mix of people that speak Russian or Ukrainian. People over there, you have a people of a mix of people that speak Russian or Ukrainian. It was never about the language. It was never important to anybody. Okay, until after 2014, it just wasn't because it was um, a dual culture. There are about 18 nationalities here, and you've actually literally got um, probably 16 different languages. You got one town all the way over in West Ukraine next to Germany. They don't even speak Ukrainian or Russian. They speak German. Um, when I was on the Moldovan border, it was a mix of Moldovan, uh, Ukrainian, and Russian. I mean, in the same sentence sometimes. It was confusing as heck. Wow. You know? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. But culturally, oh, these people were a blast. Well, they were. Um, they still are. It's just really good people, family-oriented. You know? And that's a comparison to um, the American heartland. But it sounds like your wife was a, your wife was a pro-Russian-Ukrainian. Well, my wife is um, Russian-Ukrainian. Um, um, well, she, she's born in Ukraine, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, well, Soviet Ukraine. Um, everybody here as Russian. Well, no, it's it's. What nationality are you? Well, technically American. My well, that's not a nationality. Are, my, my ancestors are from Europe. I'm I'm an American mutt. We're all blended. Right. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's us in America. All right. Um, the main nationality across Ukraine is still Russian. 
So it's not a matter of what do I identify as. Um, it's kind of like saying, okay, you identify as an American, right? You're an American national. You say that's your nationality, which is a good thing. Now, someone comes along and says, okay, now you have to be a Democrat. So you're not just um, an American, but you're a Democratic American and that's your nationality. Okay, now what do you do? Go. Well, that's if, uh, if America actually split up into multiple nations. Well, wait, wait. They start off with, you have to be a Democrat. You, your because nationality is a Democratic I mean, we're talking America. reality here, and the reality is that there's land that's separated by a border, and when you were born on the western side of that border, you are officially Ukrainian. If you're born on the eastern side of that border, you're officially a Russian. Since nineteen twenty, national heritage aside, I'm not talking Actually, heritage. Your wife, I'm assuming, I'm hearing your wife was born on the Ukrainian side, but she actually, favors Russia. Um, the Soviet Union. Um, they let everybody across the board actually choose their nationality. They got to choose it, so it wasn't where you were born as much. If that makes sense to you. Um, you think of the Soviet Union as they wanted to be nationless. So it didn't matter what side of the border you were on, you were the same people. Um, the cause helped cause part of this problem. That did. You have, they looked at Ukraine as just a landmass, and Russia as just another landmass. Okay? It was all of them together that made the Soviet Union. So it was this. The small parts are some of the bigger whole, and that caused a lot of the issues that people are facing today. It's actually a good point you made. Well, this is all quite interesting. Um, I, I still wonder why my president is so invested in Ukraine rather than our own national... Biden cares more about Ukraine's border than the USA border. And that's concerning. It's graft. It's graft. It should concern you. It concerns me. 